She fired right up. Okay. You hear the aliens? Yeah, they're coming. You know they're coming, right? <laughs> I mean, of all people, you should know. It's actually an original song of mine. Oh, nice. But like, it's not country, but... No, it's not country. It's called Ronald Rougevin. And it's, if you, if you translate it in English, it's um, Ron Burgundy. I don't know if you're familiar with Ron Burgundy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Ron Burgundy is uh, the classic fucking, the awesome, you know, uh, the awesome character in, uh, what, what's the name of that movie? Anchorman? Yeah. Jeez, thank you. I watched Anchorman for like the 18th time one night. And uh, it was like two in the morning and I started watching it. And every time you watch that movie, I mean, it gets you. It's funny. I don't know if you if you enjoy yeah. it, but. I love that kind of comedy. It's 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 funny anyways. And and so I just kind of took his story and I'm like, man, this guy, this guy needs like a song. This guy needs something. So I I wrote a song called uh, Ron Burgundy in French. Ronald Rougevin. So if ever French people, if ever you're listening to music on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, you can go check out Ronald Rougevin by Marty Pili Roots. And you will find it and uh, you'll hear the story and then you'll be able to relate to the movie. So nonetheless, what's up, everybody? Marty here. Good Vibes Podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. I switched spots. Uh, I wish I could move my camera around to show you, but I'm literally in the boiler room. But there's no boiler. It's just like a hot water tank and then the air exchanger, which I had to turn off. But right now we're living in a duplex and we have to make do. So I put my office in what we call the a little storage room, but it's really just the hot water tank and the air exchanger and a, a few things. So, uh, but I'm comfortable and I'm good. And I have a guest today that is uh, already blowing my mind. We had a five minute pre-show talk and I was like, okay, we got to stop there. We got to start recording. There's no, no more talking. I want to, you know, sorry. I think I, did I cut out there? No, you're good. Oh, okay. I don't want to uh, talk anymore. All I want to do is uh, move forward and record this show because uh, this guy, Jocelyn Book, a captain in the Royal Canadian Air Force. So um, I was telling him in French earlier off air, but I will tell you again, uh, a huge thanks uh sincerely for your for your support yeah for your for your uh service and uh i mean if it's not for you we don't feel as free we don't feel as protected so thank you so much for everything that you and your uh your compadres uh, do for us here in canada thank you for your support again yeah and welcome to the good vibes podcast jocelyn uh, Justin, where are you right now? Anyways, you're located out in Quebec somewhere. Yeah, Quebec City, pretty much. Just like okay. between the base of Alcarte and Quebec City and Stoneham, if you ever come skiing this way. I'll be there next week. I'm going to go uh, visit you on the base and you can take me out flying. Yeah, I, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> yeah, really, eh? Uh, yeah. Justin, uh, you're a pilot. You're in, you're, you are in uh, the Air Force here in Canada, but you're also like a huge invent adventure, uh, kind of an adventure freak, I guess, but not, you know, a pro I assume you're like your cousin. We had your cousin on uh, 
last week and Julien uh, book. And you guys should check out that episode too. He was, he was super interesting and we had an awesome, awesome chat. And actually up to now, the most listened to episode in the podcast was uh, Julien's. Yeah. People really enjoyed that episode, but uh, you do a lot of like, you do a lot of shit, bro. Well, how old are you? Like, <laughs> uh, same age as I'm actually Julian's little cousin, so I'm two months younger than him. So I'm 26. Wow, wow, man, it's it's incredible to see everything you guys have have touched or done and achieved uh, over uh, such a honestly like a short period of time. We're talking, you know, eight nine years after graduating uh, high school. Um, Tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, I got a full list of stuff, but I really, I just kind of want to let you go and then we'll get into a few things. And if, if you miss out on a few things, we'll, uh, we'll, t- we'll stop. But you're from the same place as Julien is in, in Rogersville, uh, New Brunswick. Yeah. Middle of, but, but nowhere as you call it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful spot though. A beautiful oh, yeah. spot for it's sure. Good. Yeah. But, uh, I've got a lot I, of family in, in Acadiaville, like I was mentioning to Julien and people are so great there. Yeah, you say that so young, but I feel like both Julian and I we started doing stuff quite early, right? So it all added up, and as soon as we were adults into our, you know, let loose to our own lives, and we just kept going and exploring and trying to push the limits of what we can do and what we want to do, and there is no limit. Like I try to tell my nephew who just graduated high school last year, like a lot of people think you need a bunch of money to do all these sports and stuff, but if it's what you actually want to do and you don't spend your time partying and all the other stuff that people waste money on, then you can buy cool shit, right? Yeah, like Julian, I did my pilot's license when I was 16, gliders and private pilot license. And then and after high school, I joined the Air Force right away, did my pilot training with them. And then while I was doing that, I was all over Canada. So I was exploring every weekend I had to go trail running or skydiving, and canoeing, ice climbing, whatever I could get out doing kind of thing. Wow. But, um, so you got your, yeah, you, so you do, um, you did your pilot license at 16 and are we talking when you did it, was it through the air cadets? Yeah. So, and our private pilot license. So 16, we did glider, which is like a recognized by transport Canada as a pilot's license. And then the year after we were both 17, I guess we did our private pilot license, which is as Julie mentioned, the scholarship that you apply for, you write an exam for it. And if you're good enough, you're one of the few chosen in the province to go do it. Then you go, we did it in Moncton Flight College. And that was like flying Cessna. It was like four-seater airplane. <laughs> Sorry, my dog wants to play. Um, That's all right. What yeah, kind so of dog? Like four-seater airplanes. And it's a husky, Ooh. kind of a husky. Nice. They call them the Canadian boreal dogs now, but... It used to be a merry Indian husky. Okay. But uh, yeah, he's. Is he a baby? He's still a pup. He's just like a year old. So. It's too bad your video is glitching out, but it's it's often the case on on Zoom, right? Like, it's. Uh, I just said, especially if you move your camera around, it's glitching. Yeah, out. yeah, I think so. Yeah, good point. All right, so yeah, so you you got your um right your license at, at sixteen, flying Cessnas, you were saying. After. Well, first it was gliders, and then, yeah, it was, we got trained on diamonds, but at the end, we had, like, an extra week, so we did the conversion to Cessnas. Wow. So, and then, it and, and for you, it really, uh, you know, 
had a, you it really took you took to another level from there i assume because now today you're you're in the air force so, and flying yeah yeah it just seemed logical to just i mean it was oh my cousin and i dream to just join yet can you still hear me oh hang on uh are you on mute fuck man i'm so sorry uh my uh my bluetooth yeah my bluetooth headset kicked into the whole my whole setup here and then uh I thought you were cut out. I thought you had audio issues, but actually we were just coming out of the headphones. But anyway, yes, sir. And now you're closer and we can tell that you're missing teeth. Do you want to hear Man, that story? You, you look like a hockey player. Yeah, I wish. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, 2016, I got sucker punched in a bar. In 2016? Yeah, but then I had fake teeth. So like okay. nobody could tell for a lot of years, but then I started like orthodentist work and I had a, the first surgery was to widen my top palate. So they cut it open and then they had to take out the fake teeth while it all healed up. Okay. This has been my look since uh, last February. Do you like it? I mean, I don't care as much. I forget about it though. I forget. And then I see myself in the mirror and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm missing teeth. Or like last night. <laughs> Kids, kids were coming to the door for Halloween. And I'm like, oh fuck, I'm missing teeth. Like, probably gonna scare half of them away. But I, I was in, I was in Toronto at the time, going to school, and uh, okay, I went up to see a guy from Rogersville that was in Borden, Ontario, like an hour north, and we went to the biggest country club in Canada, biggest country bar in Canada, and then end of the night, I went to get my jacket. Some guy didn't like my face and wanted to fix it. So. Wow. Well, he did a good job. So he, look. Yeah, yeah. Um, at first, one of them was still on, but I waited too long to go to the dentist, so they had to take it out. But uh, okay. yeah, at first, I was like, it got punched, took a few steps back, and I was like, took a few steps forward, and then the girls inside were like, you're bleeding, you're bleeding. So I stopped, and I was like, I probably cut my lip, no big deal. I'll go like rinse it off. And then when I got to the bathroom, I noticed I was missing fucking teeth. Wow. Missing two teeth, the... basically. Yeah. Wow, man. That's crazy. 2016. Yeah. It's a long journey after that with teeth, yeah. and then you got to get a few fixed, and then all of a sudden you got to get them ripped out, and then it's it's a whole process. We're in 2022 there. This is five yeah. years later. You're still dealing with with that. Yeah. Wow. Um, but today you took you know from from taking your pilot, your pilot's license is 16. You you know you uh, you climb climb the echelons to what you're doing today is flying helicopters is what you were essentially, I was trying to get to, right? Yeah. So you fly helicopters for the air force. What do you do uh, when, when you fly the helicopters? It's a tactical utility helicopter. They call it the, so the CH-146 Griffin. Okay. There's a, some actually based out of Gagetown in New Brunswick. So you might have seen them flying around. The green <laughs> helicopters that support the army. So what is it? A CH-146. 46 Griffin. i want to i, I want to check it out there griffin yeah. okay yeah i see it here yeah. okay yeah so yeah yeah technically speaking it can carry 15 people so it's decently big it's like a bell 412 civilian helicopter but militarized okay and uh yeah we support the army so uh whenever there's like a big army exercise or you know afghanistan they'd have machine guns on both sides and if guys on the ground were in trouble then they'd go over there and help them gotcha 
So there's a good chance if you're in the action that you're in the action. Yeah. yeah. That being said, a lot of times we're like, in like, let's say Mali, they were doing a Griff, a Chinook escorts. So the bigger green helicopters with two rotors, they were yep. escorting them. They were doing medevac and then the Griffins were there to support. So like to defend the Chinook kind of thing. Okay. How often do you fly a week? Uh, dep- depends on the weeks. Like I've had good weeks where I fly like seven times in one week, as many as like nine times in a week. And then like last week I flew twice. And there's a bunch of other stuff like admin courses to do on the computer, studying to do a bunch of different things to do when you're not flying. But yeah, for sure. I'm sure. And do you guys still have to like do training or anything, training exercises or, oh yeah, I like mean, in- cle- clearly you're fit, but do you, do you keep fit because you want to, or because you have to? Mostly because I want to, I still, I do a forces test, like a fitness test every year. So you have to okay. be at a certain level of fitness, but I definitely go a little bit above what I need just because, you know, if you want to do all the fun activities, you need to be in shape form. Otherwise, yeah. it's gonna, it won't be as, as enjoyable when you're there the day of. Basically skiing, uh, climbing, ice climbing, uh, canyoning, biathlon. You did a, you, you did, how many biathlons did you do in your life? Biathlon, not that much. I just did it when I was in cadets. I okay. wish I would go, I would get back into it, but I've grown like a lot since I stopped playing hockey. I like got away from team sports where you have to meet up at practice every day or every Tuesday at 6 p.m. or whatever. And the sports I do, I just go whenever I have time or whenever I want to, basically. Uh, were you playing some competitive hockey? Or? No, no, not at all. I stopped playing hockey. Like I played like every other Canadian. Most other Canadian kids, I got to play hockey when I was a kid. But uh, growing up, like in grade seven, I think I think it was grade seven. I still played, but I was in cadets, and I was trying to do everything I could in cadets because I wanted the flying scholarships and stuff. And then grade eight, I said I wanted to stop. And then the goalie, I was goalie at that point. The goalie they had would get, like, super demoralized after they'd score a few goals on him, and then he would really suck. So they would... They, I ended up playing that whole year basically because they convinced the you to stay. Yeah. At first, I was like, oh, I'll come to a few practices like once in a while just to keep up my game in case I ever want to play again. And then their goalie would get two. De- he was like better goalie than me. But as soon as they scored two goals, he his morale was down and he couldn't, like, you know, he was basically done. So then they'd swap me in and you know, I was I was used to losing big games. <laughs> <laughs> Were so, you good? Um, I I wasn't the best for sure. Okay. But yeah. like I I remember one one winter it was either I was going to AAA try out for AAA because I'd been like asked to go try out or do a goalie camp like summer because you know financially it was gonna be one or the other. So I just right. did a goalie camp. But uh, so that year I might have gone triple a if i tried but okay but that's around the time i was joining cadets i think and then yeah cadets i did everything i could so that i would be in a better position to get the scholarships which is right served me very well like i know Paddy's told you so i think the two like a lot of people chirp people in cadets because it's not the coolest thing to do and stuff but i did right two pilot's licenses and then i got a free trip to japan 
So amazing. Like, and that was all before I graduated high school. So it was yeah, pretty that's, sweet go. Yeah, that's amazing for development, for, you know, social cues, uh, just you know, going even going in another country like that on the other side of the world, basically uh, being culture shock, being exposed to all that. It's got to be, you know, it's got to be huge for a young guy, you know, kind of even in development. And I think after, you know, after hearing Julien's stories and having a lot of pretty fun conversations with uh, with Paris about everything that she, you know, kind of she touched and she did and and uh, we go out in the woods and stuff and uh, she doesn't have any issues there. And she, you know, she, everything comes back, you know, just kind <clears> of <throat> talking about it. I see the importance that the cadets have for the development of, of a teen. And I think, honestly, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. And I'm wondering if the numbers are still good in the cadets or if they're as good as they used to be. Cause I remember like a lot of my friends were in cadets and stuff, but a lot of them weren't. So it was always like, like you say, it's like, is it cool? Is it not cool? Really? Once you're in there, it's really cool because there's a lot of cool shit and then there's fraternity and all that stuff. I'm sure. And I've gone, I've gone to cadets to kind of watch and stuff a few times when I was a kid, my cousin's stuff and whatever, but I never was in cadets, but you could tell, that there was that kind of scouts take it to a net, another level fraternity kind of friendship, you know, with, with a lot of the guys and girls that were, were in there is, you know, it, I, I assume that's, uh, that's kind of what, what you went through as well. Yeah, for sure. And you, like, there's a lot of the stuff too, that it's like anything else in life. You go once and it's not that fun. You go to your first uh, power skate practice, at hockey and it's a lot of work and not a lot of fun but if you do it enough times you get real good at power skate stick hand, like puck handling all that stuff so cadets the same thing you show up every wednesday or whenever your training night is sometimes it's not fun but the opportunities you get and all the lessons you learn from it like it's invaluable at the end right yeah no doubt and i mean all yeah like you say all those trips and just every every little experience that you had is kind of putting you to the test for new little things that eventually serve you in life. Yeah. And I, I can just imagine that, uh, you know, the evolution of, of starting in cadets and to where you're at today. I mean, there's a lot of it that is probably thanks to your experiences in the cadets. I assume. Well, yeah, and even sometimes at work, like there's some silly little like ways of remembering certain stuff about flying or like the air or how weather works and stuff like that. And it's like, just a little thing that somebody said at cadets, but it was so silly that I remembered it. Yeah. Nice. Nice. But. That's, that's pretty awesome. So, so your process of, of, uh, you know, literally going from 16, getting the first pilot license to what you do today, what was the road like to, to become a helicopter pilot? Yeah. So you join, you see one be pilot, and then you go do a testing in Trenton, Ontario, which is like where a lot of people fail. Like, I'm trying to, I can't remember my year at, or the time I went, I think we were 14 and four of us ended up passing. I have a buddy who he was the only one that passed on his course. And it's just like wow. mind, your brain is like melting out of your ears after every exam and everybody feels like they failed, but a few of us somehow passed. And like, I was there. So fresh out of, I wasn't even done high school yet or no. Yeah. I just graduated and I went. So like June of my senior year. 
And there's a guy there that had his master's degree in engineering. And so I was like, you know, what am I to, it's like all brain stuff. I'm like, what am I to compute against this guy? That right. guy, last day that guy comes out of the room and he said he failed. And I was like, Phew. like, I don't have a chance. And then I walked in and the guy had the sheet on his desk and there was like three jobs he tested for. And I saw one X. So he's like, how do you think you did? And I'm like, I already saw an X, like I failed. And he's like, oh no, that's for something else. Like you're pa- you passed your pilot. And I was so happy. And then you go to Toronto for medical testing. And then if that goes well, then you get accepted eventually. Go to basic training like everybody else in the military. And then after that, I did uh, phase one of flight training, which is on a similar plane than a Cessna. It's like a small two-seater airplane, but it's aerobatics rated. Okay. So you do like 20-ish hours of flight time on that one, do some aerobatics and stuff. That goes well. Then I did, uh, there's like flying, but then there's like survival and stuff courses as well that I did on site. So after that, I did the land survival course and a sea sur- land survival course in Manitoba, sea survival course in BC at a Comox, BC. And then I went to school for a year in Toronto. To, to for- study... To study, I got a honorary bachelor's degree of aviation technology, which is quite specific for pilots. So it was a, the program I joined under took me straight out of high school, gave me a degree and my wings, which is like my pilot's license for the military, in four years. So it was all like accelerated. We got a, a decent amount of hate from uh, other people because everybody would have to wait between phases. But because we had to go back to school, we got to like kind of skip the line a bunch of times. But, um, so I went to school and then after that I went to. Okay. Hang on. So, so why, so why, why, why were you able to complete in, in one year? Is it just cause you were. Oh no, no, no. I'm, I'm not, I'm not this. Um, so I just went for two semesters. It's a co-op program. So they okay. have some of those like at the Mount Allison university that have a similar thing with Moncton flight college. Okay. But so I did two semesters of school Then I went to uh, Musha, Saskatchewan for phase two flight training, Okay. which is on the Harvard two. It's like an airplane, like it's got a propeller, but it's a turbine engine. It's got ejection seats in it. Okay. So, so we did the, like it took eight months there. And then after that, I went, so after that course is when they ask you, do you want to be helicopter pilot, a jet pilot or multi-engine? You're looking it up? Yeah, I'm looking it up. Harvard 2. Yeah. C-156, Harvard 2. Yeah, that, that's it. Is it two, yeah. two passenger? One in, yeah, one, one like tandem, one in front of the other. One in front of the other. So on that course, you do like a clear hood flying. So like a VFR, visual flight rules. So like looking outside, flying. So you do aerobatics and all that stuff. And then you do instruments. So like if you're in cloud, you can't see outside. So you're just looking at your instruments inside the cockpit. Okay. Yep. And then we do formation flying as well. And then navigation, which navigation, we're flying like 500 feet above the ground, going 240 knots, which is 444 kilometers an hour. Wow. So, okay, let's hang on. Let's go back here. There's four, com- four components that you just mentioned. What yep. was the first one again? Uh so- we call it clear hood, but it's a VFR flying. So like just like visual. beautiful. Yeah, visual. So like beautiful blue sky day, you just go fly around and you're mostly looking outside. 
And do you have to like report what you're seeing and shit, or you just kind of you're no, just no, watching? you don't report, but you have like you're always flying with an instructor, and he's you've got like things that you need to do for that flight, so he's gonna test you on like your turns, your straight level, your climbs, your descents, and then you do gotcha. aerobatics as well, just to teach you how to fly the machine. You're doing what aero aerobatics? Okay, which is so that's like a backflip, barrel roll. Okay. So why, why, why do you guys need to do that shit? Why do you need to learn that? Um, Because it helps you understand how to fly the machine better. I think is the proper reason. I think it's a lot of fun. So I, (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, no doubt. There must be some G's. Yeah. Yeah. I've pulled like four G's pretty regularly. Wow. And um, I actually, after I was done, like a year after, there was a guy who G-locked. You know what G-locking is? No. Did you watch? I can't remember if they talked about it in New Top Gun. But basically... I didn't watch what, it yet. Okay, it's very Have good. you seen it? Yeah, I watched it twice. <laughs> Do you like it? Yeah, I liked it. It made is me it, want to go back. To is it pretty that. realistic to what you do or what, what they do? Well, I mean, yeah, it's a very specific mission that asks a lot of them. I think most missions aren't that demanding. Okay. But, uh, and there's like a decent amount of Hollywood at the end. But yeah. It's, it's a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah. And there's a lot it's... of uh, references to the first one. So okay. it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I plan on watching. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah. But yeah. So do you know what a G is? Or I guess I can explain it for most people. But like right yeah. now, you're feeling one G, right? So if you're in a roller coaster or in an airplane and you like pull, because you're move forward inertia, then you're going to feel like two G's, maybe three G's. Three G's would be three times the weight you are right now. So your head is now, instead of being 20 pounds, it's like 60 pounds. So we pull, like every time we turn, we do 60 degree bank turns and two, two G's. So like every time you're turning, you're doing it. And then when you do aerobatics, we'd pull four. Yeah. So because of all that, like all your blood wants to go down. Yeah. So when there's not enough blood in your brain, you pass right. out. Right. So that's is that a G locking? Yeah. Okay. So there's like techniques they teach you to prevent it, and the jet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but and the jet pilots wear like pants that puff up so that it keeps the helps you keep the blood up. We do solos while we're there. Right. So like just to build confidence, they let us take the aircraft and go alone. Yeah. And then you practice aerobatics, but this guy pulled too much while he was doing his aerobatics passed out while he was alone in the aircraft wow but luckily he woke up in time and you know didn't end up having an accident but after that they changed it so you had to be flying with an instructor when you went for a bit wow so he can he he passed out while flying and and came back to in time yep wow man that's crazy so when you when you're running uh like 4G, uh, for a mock, what is it? Mach four? Is that what it is? No, four, no, no. no, four G's, four G's. Yeah, mock yeah. is speed. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My bad. So it's like the gravity force, I think. Right. G's. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, exactly. Force of gravity. How many times the force of gravity? Right. So when you're at four G, um, are you having to do that breathing and have those pants like engulfed or whatever, or is that what you have? Like, do you have to do that or? Mm-hmm. You know, like, mo- well, it depends if you, how used to okay. it you are. Like, especially me being a runner, like, I'm not built for, they say, like, the short, stocky guys are 
the G monsters. You can just right. take it all day. But like, I have low low blood pressure because I run all the time, and my heart rate, like resting heart rate, slow, and I don't really do that great. But I still wouldn't uh, G strain. It's called that often. But then okay. sometimes you're like flying on instruments the whole plot time, and then at the end of the flight, the guy in the front decides to have a little bit of fun and like pull, and then it's like oh, kind of thing. But um, for the most part, no, it wasn't too bad. Okay. It was very, very manageable. Do you mind being in, yeah, like in 4G or like, does it, is it something that you don't like? No, I, I didn't mind at all. The reason um, I asked that is like, because it must get you like a little spinny or whatever, but, or lightheaded. Um, no. no. And it comes back right away. Like, yeah. Okay. As soon as you, you know, like if you're pulling to do a loop, let's say you pull 4Gs. But then when you're coming out of it, you're back to one G. Okay. Because in helicopters, there's G's as well, right? Yeah, but not a lot at all. No. Like I flew the the power. We can't we can't just turn too hard and but still those swerves when you're turning, it's still uh it pulls at you like if you're not used to it. Oh yeah, and like the other the other day I was flying with a guy and he he was flying and he turned around and like kind of pulled a little it was probably like two G's, maybe max. And okay. as a joke, I pretended like I was doing the G strain. I was like, hey, and he, he laughed, but you know, <laughs> wow. I don't feel that much. So from, uh, but, from those planes to that training, where do you go from there? That was where again, you said? Uh, that was in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. But, yeah. So at the end of that course, they ask you what you want to fly. So either jets uh helicopters or fixed wing or not fixed wing sorry multi-engine which is like end up flying the hercules and the big stuff kind of thing so you you tell them what you want and then they tell you what you have kind of thing you know because they have their list of how many people need to go where so some guys really want to fly multi-engine aircraft and there's no spots everybody goes helicopters that course so but i was pretty happy I'm pretty lucky, I guess. Um, at the end, I wanted helicopters, and that's what I got. And I wanted to get on the Griffin to fly tactically, and that's what I got. So, wow! Like I just came back from a a course that we were training for a flight lead. So it's basic. It was a basic tactical aviation course. Mm-hmm. But I was just there, like as an augmentee. So I wasn't a student, but I was helping out with the course, flying for it. And like, you know, we'd be flying around doing different types of missions or whatever. And then we got a call that a pilot ejected from his aircraft. So he should be around this area. So we'd go around, try to get in contact with him and stuff. And then we ended up coming down, landing, picking it up, picking him up and then bringing him back to base. Wow. Like all, all simulated, but that's kind of stuff we can do. Okay. So that's all simulated, meaning like, did somebody actually uh, go down or no? No, no. It was all, Nobody all ejected, practice. but there was, but there was somebody. So there's a like a third helicopter flying that day, and he dropped two guys off in a gotcha. like, wood clearing, so that they would actually be people on the ground. We saw them, and I was like, "Oh, I see him. I'm gonna go land." And the guy sitting beside me, who was in charge, was like, "What? Did you see him?" I'm like, "Yeah, I see him. Like I'm on final, about to land." He's like, "Okay, cool." So we landed, and then picked them up 
Wow, man, that's cool. Did did you fly today? Yeah, I did. Uh, I went to Trinidad and back, basically. And so I what? did. Uh, I was saying earlier, like different types of flying. So yep. today I have we have certain minimums too that we have to do. So I had to go do minimums <laughs> for flying on instruments. So we flew in cloud today for okay a good amount of time. Yeah, went well. Yeah, that was good. You, you can't see anything, right? In clouds. Oh yeah, no. So All you see legit. is like, which I mean, it's the same as when you're driving your car and you hit like a fog bank, and you're like, oh yeah. shoot, you slow down to forty because you can't, you literally can't see in front of you. Same yeah. thing. Like fog is a cloud, right? So, do you slow down? No, because because so when we're doing that type of flying we talk with somebody on the ground that sees us on radar so they can direct all the planes away from each other. And so we, and we have our instruments that point us the right direction, which right. you don't have in your car. Right. Exactly. And there's no moose in the air. Yeah, that too. That helps. <laughs> and usually birds don't fly in clouds that much too. Okay. Yeah. I guess birds are a factor though. Yeah, are they, are they, are they always a factor? Like, is there often birds in your way or, depends on the season like for uh migratory birds especially like geese and ducks but like bald eagles are a big bird that can always be a factor okay and they they fly high or well you guys fly low i guess yeah we can fly we, we fly pretty low but birds can also fly pretty high how high does a does a bird typically fly i feel like like geese like migratory birds go up like i don't actually know the answer right now but it's high. It's like take a guess. Thousand feet. I mean, take I, a I guess. Feel like, I feel like I remember twenty thousand feet, but I think that's exaggerated. How do you have it there? Because I remember one time I was flying in Moncton, like yep. with my private pilot license, and I saw a crane above a swamp at like two thousand feet, and I was surprised mm. to see him there. Yeah. So they fly distinctive V-shaped flight formation with an altitude of three thousand feet. However, that's for the migration flight. The maximum flight ceiling of Canadian geese is unknown, but they have been reported at nine kilometers, so 29,000 feet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's as high as a fucking airliner, commercial yeah. airliner. Oh, yeah. Flying from Moncton to Montreal, basically. Yeah. Wow. So and I've, I've definitely, and sometimes too, when you're that high, you're not paying as much attention as when you're down close to the ground especially for birds. So I've been flying and it's like, oh, bird. And then you watch him and you see him coming, but you don't know if he's going to dive or if he's going to go up or what do you, and it's just like, ah, and then you avoid him. Like I, I haven't hit one yet, but. Uh, but you have seen them. It has happened. Oh yeah. I've seen him wow. and called it, called it out. Right. And uh, like made a movement to avoid it. That's crazy. Top, top uh, 10, high, just because rabbit hole now. Uh, uh, Andean condor, 15,000 feet. A white stork, 16,000. Hang on, I'm going to go down the list here. 20,000, a godwit. Uh, 21,000. Fuck, man, that blows me away. 26, five. It blows me away. I never thought birds fl would fly that high yeah. the whoop whooper swan is twenty seven thousand. the bar-headed goose is twenty nine thousand. the common crane thirty three thousand, and the rupel's griffin vulture thirty seven thousand feet 
Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I would have never thought. So, um, so yeah, from, from where you were in Saskatchewan, did we, did we continue that? Yeah, we did. Uh, so I want to go back to the components too there. I don't want the two other components of flight that we oh, uh, yeah. didn't, that we didn't get to. So uh, there was the visual flight and then the instruments and what's the other two formation flying. Yeah. Why formation? What's that deal? Helicopters in formation, I guess. That's when the you're... Same thing. Did you... Not in, well, we do an information all the time now, but that course it was on airplanes. Okay. Right. Formation flying. I mean, to be honest, like these are all my opinion and I don't know what the, the exact definition is, but right. Like now as a helicopter pilot, we fly in formation with the ground all the time, basically, because we fly solo. And uh, just formation flying is, is another thing that like you have to learn to relax and do little movements on the aircraft. You can't just be like, you can't be aggressive with it because your, your wingman has to follow you, right? So like, and that's the same thing as snowbirds. They look like they're flying like this. But realistically, the guy inside is constantly moving, adjusting. But like the actual objective too, in the military, we fly information as helicopter pilots now, or if you go jets, you fly information all the time, right? Because you don't want to be alone in the sky. Right. In war or whatever. So they do it there. And then if you're good at it, cool. You can maybe go fly jets. But if you're really, really bad at it, then you're probably not going to end up flying jets. Right. It's a big component of jets. And then the last phase is navigation which like I said, it's low level navigation. So, you know, again, you're flying like kind of information with the ground, but I mean, watch the new Top Gun, you know, air defenses and stuff can get you easier if you're up high. So we learned to navigate from down low and we, it's basic navigation with a map. So you're using a map, looking at what you see outside and trying to figure out where you are, where you're going. Like an, a legit map from, from like a, a like paper you, map? Yeah, like you go on the computer, you print out the paper map, you draw your lines of where you're flying. And we do it to like, I can't remember what the standard was, but usually you're within five seconds of your target. Wow. So that you fly for an hour, an hour and 15 maybe, and then you're five seconds from the time you said you would be somewhere, you're there. That's crazy. So, And there's like some math and stuff that you have to do in the air. Like if you're... 10 seconds behind on one turn point, then you'd, you know, ex speed up by a certain amount and then see on the next turn point, if you're closer to your time and then you're on time on target again. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's different than all the stuff you've done already. So people definitely fail. It's a, a lot of these courses too. They're pretty, pretty cutthroat with their, like if you fail a flight, you better step it up. And if you fail a second one, then you're probably almost, Get you're a, on the bubble you're on the bubble PR, prb which is like progressive <clears throat> review board and then you're going to decide whether you stay in the military as a pilot or if you go find another job basically yeah wow man that's crazy so, but, so you've been then, flying so you've been flying how long since you've been in the army now because you did your basic training you had to go in and then do all these training how long have you been on a helicopter a helicopter i did I started my helicopter career, if you want to say, in, I want to say May 2016. No, May 2017. 
2017, I started like training on a small helicopter. And then that was, so after Musha, uh, about like a month and a half after I was done, I went to Portage of Prairie, Manitoba for another eight month course on helicopters. Okay. And then that's where you started your training for helicopters. Yeah. It's a civilian contractor that has like okay. a school. So it's civilian helicopters and then we do their training with them. Um, so at the end, there was two helicopters, Bell 206, which is like a smaller uh, five-seater helicopter. And then the second half, we go on the Bell 412, which is basically the same as the Griffin, just blue and like civilian instead of the militarized got, version. Gotcha, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, and then, wow, uh, man. Yeah, after that, I went back to school for three months and to finish my uh, honorary degree. And then after that, I got posted to Quebec and I've been here. I've been here ever since. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, pretty fun. And like my first uh, four years in the military, I wasn't in one spot longer than 10 months, I think. Okay. So you got to discover a whole bunch though. Yeah. Yeah. I went to the military, brought me to every province except for. Alberta and Newfoundland and Alberta, like I was right next door in Saskatchewan. So I went over there a lot to explore. Okay. Nice. Explore. We're going to get into that. I do have a question before we jump out of the uh, sort of the, the whole uh, flying helicopters, <clears throat> the air force basic training. How is, how bad is it? How intense was it at the time? At the time, that was in 2014. I got the chance to talk with a, now he's a major, but I think it was captain at the time, just to, like before I went in. And I think he was a family friend and he told me about basic training, his experience, but mine was not as bad. Like I, a lot of the courses I've done in the military, I've, I've watched a few war movies and I think it's going to be so hardcore and so intense. And then personally, I don't find it as, as intense, but some guys obviously struggle more than others. Like, I I assume that the fact that you were a person already, um, you know, pushing the limits of some sort in in other things, you know, uh, athletic wise, or you know, as far as all your exploration and uh, adventures and stuff, it probably built you stronger. You were a guy that ran, so you said. Uh, yeah. Were you tr- were you training back then before basic training? Oh yeah. Um, when I was on basic, I had done. Three marathons up to that point, and during like that summer, I was waiting to hopefully get the call from the military. So I was like working for my uncle a little bit, but mostly I would just go run every day. And I think I ran up to uh, 50k in training that summer. And then while I was on basic training, like on the weekends, most people are exhausted. They would go get a hotel room in town and just chill for the weekend. But it was the only three days or like Friday night to Sunday was the only time I had to train by myself. So I would leave Friday night, go for 16K run and then Saturday morning, go for another run and then Sunday, go for another run kind of thing. But, uh, and I actually ran, I ran a half marathon in town while I was there, like signed up for one. And I also flew back to New Brunswick for a marathon one day. While in basic training. While in basic training. And I got a, I can't remember if it was personal best. Definitely my half marathon was the fastest I've ever done a half marathon. But uh, yeah, like most people, again, would just go chill in a hotel room 
And I would see them, or I'd see them like all done up, ready to go out to town to bars and stuff. And I was like dressed in running clothes, going to get a workout in. Cause, yeah. Wow. And even that's yeah, yeah. That's one discipline. Point of, yeah, but I mean, it's it's my med, my meditation, right? Like, I go out to run. I don't have to think about anything. I just I run. It's what I'm used to doing and stuff. But the uh, it's, it's still really impressive. <laughs> it's. Uh... Uh, it's like, you know, you're, you're in basic training and you're going out running 16, 16 miles. Like, that's crazy. 16 kilometers, whatever, whatever yeah. it was, doesn't I mean, matter. Dep- depends on the time. But uh, yeah, some guys, I'm trying to think there was a. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The uh, like the first five weeks, I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was indoctrination period. So we didn't have our weekends to go out. We had to stay on base. And at one point we couldn't go like to stores or anything. And I asked like, can I get some foot cream or something? Cause my feet are falling apart. And the guy was like, Oh, don't worry. You're going to build up calluses and like, you'll be fine. And I was like, no, no, I've been running all summer. My calluses are falling off because I'm not able to run here. Like, so it was the, you know, he thought he was, he thought my feet weren't tough yet. And he's like, no, I'm just not using my feet as much as I did. So they're falling apart. Oh. But, <laughs> That's crazy, man. That's, that's, that's really cool. And it's a discipline. And just like you say, it's a meditation for some, you know, for me, it's music sitting down, writing a song or, or just playing my guitar or whatever. And, uh, but I get it in a sense, because a couple of years ago I started, I started uh, walking and I'm not a walker or a runner because I, I was always kind of athletic growing up, uh, but always like in games, like in sports, for like two and a half years, I was walking every single day, minimum, it's not a lot, but minimum five kilometers a day. And at one point, when you pass the first or the second kilometer, you know, for me, there's a lot of pain because like I say, I'm just the way I'm built. It feels like everything, the you know, joints hurt and everything. But once you pass that little threshold of like a kilometer, one and a half kilometers, two kilometers, Sometimes I went to 10 kilometers, 12 kilometers because I could just go forever because it just felt like once your body gets warmed up, it becomes meditative to a pa- to a fact that you're either you're listening to music or you're listening to a podcast or you're in your own head. And everything is about just about the thoughts in your mind and everything o- seems like overrides any pain or any discomfort. I don't know how it is for you for the experience but I can relate to the meditative side of running. Although I could never do it. And I also can relate to the fact that like the first kilometer often, Oh, my knees hurting. My, this hip is tight. This, you know, so many things, but then once you loosen up, you end up having a great run. Most of the time. Yeah, it becomes, yeah, exactly. It becomes what you describe it as. Yeah, no, for sure. And there is sort of something challenging in that first kilometer too. That kind of just kind of, you're always looking for that piece that comes with warmth, uh, warming up, you know what I mean? And, and, and loosening up, like you say, it gives you some sort of freedom and peace. Yeah. Yeah. The hardest part is always tying up your shoes and getting out the door or just like dressing properly. You know, we live in a four season country, so it's like, oh, it's raining, but it's kind of cold, but it's not too cold. What? the hell am I going to wear today to not be too hot, but not be too cold. And, yeah. 
it can also be a great excuse of saying, ah, it's raining. It's a little cold, you know, um, and, and that's what I've been doing in the last six months. But for, for that consistent period of time, all I kept saying was like rain or shine, come sleet, come snow. I don't care. I'm going out. It's fucking five kilometers. It's an hour less, a little bit less than an hour. You get it done and you're, you're feeling good after. Yeah. And it's good for the mental health for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I've done a few, a few times, like I haven't in quite a few years, but I would do same thing. Like minimum at one point I had three kilometers and minimum five kilometers every day I would run. And I would usually do that in the winter because it always sucks to get out there in the winter. But if you just get the routine going that you're going every day or no matter what, whereas now, honestly, I'm, if it's raining, like, I've, yeah, one year I, went for my long run in the rain anyways and i ended up getting a lung infection so now i'm like it's raining and it's cold i'm like ah i'll do my run tomorrow <laughs> okay <laughs> so do you still run quite a quite a bit like you still train often all the time and yeah i'd say well like this past week no and i feel like and uh what is it what do they call it online ipod uh IPOS, injured piece of shit. Because <laughs> my knee's been bothering me for the past week and I have a race this weekend. So I'm trying to just let it sort itself out, try to do yoga and stretch it out and stuff. But uh, before that, I was like on my best training cycle that I've done since 2019, I think. Really? So, yeah. And you do yoga so, as well? Uh, not like if you'd see me do yoga, you don't think I do yoga. <laughs> I'm not very flexible. But it's like, you know, it's a great tool to try to loosen up. And it's usually my recovery thing after a race, too. If I'm not doing the runs for a few days, I'll try to get more yoga in. But Right. So race, you're saying you got a race next week? Uh, this weekend in what? And you're, nurse, and you're nursing an injury? Yeah. So are you going to be good for the race? And what is the race coming up? <laughs> so it's just a, a little, 20- just a little couple, three, four kilometer race or? It's a 6.38 kilometers. Okay. Oh, well, that's, that's easy. A, that's, that's easy. And then you run it again and again and again and again and again as many times as you can in uh, 24 hours. Holy shit. So uh, I yeah. had no idea that you were going to say that, but I could just assume that 6.3 kilometers wasn't the actual rate. <laughs> I thought either it's up a fucking peak or you know in a freaking desert or something or he's gotta yeah he's gonna come out with something like this you gotta do it again and again for 24 hours yeah so i've done two 12-hour races before and i thought they went by pretty quick like i thought it was gonna be the end of the world and absolutely terrible and i'd hate myself the whole time but both of them i had fun doing it and it's it's cool because you have you know you can really push yourself and see how far you can get in that time. So my goal for this weekend was I've done three 100 mile races so far, and like the time, a lot of 100 mile races they're like gold not the gold standard but like a lot of people try to get under 24 hours and mm-hmm. I haven't been able to do it yet, arguably because I've chosen hard races, but also because, so. I was hoping that this race, 24 hours around a loop that doesn't have, it's not too technical. It doesn't have too many mountains. I should just be able to run, run fast and get it done. And then even my training was going so good that I'm hoping this is like 
I don't want to say this on air because then it puts even extra pressure. But my you boss might already be, knows. You might be jinxed. <laughs> yeah, I told my boss the other day. So I was hoping that I'd be able to get 200K done this weekend. But we'll see how, how my knee holds up. That's in 24 hours. Yeah. You don't sleep, obviously. No. And no, where I, do you... So you do that run 6.3 kilometers over and over and over. Yeah. And there's a like water and food at the start and finish. So, you know, fill up my water bottle. grab Like how long of a break do you take? I am going to, so usually I take decently long breaks. Like my girlfriend uh, chirped me the other day because I was talking about my goals for this race. And she's like, well, you're going to take four or five minutes break again. Cause I ran a hundred miler in June. And at one point I sat down, I put sunscreen on, I ate and stuff. I actually had a slushy cause my, my crew was amazing and got me a slushy. But, uh, and then when I left, they were like, you've been here for 45 minutes. And it's like, that's a long time. Like the clock is still running. Right. Like, yeah. So, um, I'm hoping to not take too many breaks and hoping that every, what was it? Every four laps should take three hours. So I'm hoping that every like two hours and 50 minutes, let's say I get like 10 minute break kind of thing. like however much time I have is what I'm going to try to take and not too much more. And where is this? What, what's the it's name of the race? It's in the New hamster, Hampshire. the hamster wheel. Which is the hamster know, wheel. It's a good name because of how silly of a race it is, but. Wow, man, that's, that's like it's crazy it's what's like behind behind all that is really probably a, like a personal deep personal uh desire to achieve something big i assume yeah but like like Yes and no, because like I was saying before we started recording, it's all perspective, right? Like 200 kilometers sounds big, but what was it? Two months ago, the guy broke the world record and he almost got 200 miles. So like 320 kilometers. Right. He was, I think he did 197.58 or something. Yeah. But 200 kilometers is still a lot. Yeah, it is. And it's still crazy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it is it's mostly it's mostly just for myself i'm not competing against the world record or anything it's mostly i wonder if i can do it if i can get my body to do it so i'll try what kind of preparation goes into something like that a and, decent and amount of running of course <laughs> <laughs> that would be the ticket but yeah but what about uh is there any other type of preparation like that like other than just running your ass off a lot? I mean, I definitely built up to it. Like some, I've talked to some people recently who like, it's a, the, the sport is booming. I started the sport like 2015 where like it was pretty, pretty small, low key, but now there's like hundred milers popping up everywhere. So everybody wants to run them. Not everybody, but you know, it's like a, a decent goal and a lot of people try to get it without having run a road marathon before or stuff like that. Right. Which actually, yeah, my, my girlfriend's looking at me smiling, but my girlfriend was training for her first road marathon 
uh, in Chicago in October and she was running training on a trail and found out there was an ultra there so two weeks before her first ever road marathon she ran a 66k ultra marathon and Jesus won and won it yeah wow so so yeah you you met your match <laughs> yeah yeah that's why I say I have to hurry up and run all the races I want to do because soon I'm gonna have to just support her <laughs> she's uh she's uh she's pushing and uh probably uh, probably gonna surpass you or well uh, in her field anyways oh yeah wow for sure as long as but that's the thing too is like i mean i don't know she's right there so i can't chirp her too much but she's fast and a good runner but a lot of these races like it's so mental yeah like so mental yeah and there's a there's a guy who uh, I was training with I, when I was in Petawa on that BTAC course. Yeah. I, somebody heard that I ran a lot, told me this guy runs a lot. We started talking. He was training for his first 100 miler. Super fast guy. Like, I would look at his runs on Strava, which is like an app. You can see everybody's runs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Super fast. A lot faster than me. He was training for his first 100. You know, I, I told him something I heard in the podcast about how much, how long it should take him. And he's like, oh, probably not. But I think he went, ended up going over that. He had, but yeah, some of it is mental, but then also some of it is like, if you're running 100 miles, there's a lot of eventualities or like uh, factors. After reviews, yeah, factors, like stuff that's going to come into play. Like you might, your stomach might not be feeling well that day and you end up spending half of it running in the woods to take a dump, you know? Right. Or you might, this guy was throwing up for, I can't remember how far it was, but like, for a long period of the race, he was throwing up everything he tried to eat. And then by the end, his legs were like destroyed and he was walking backwards downhill for all the hills. He, he still like, kudos to him. He pushed through and he got his finish like for his first one. A lot of people, that's the goal, right? Just to finish it. Yeah. So we got it. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of unknown factors. And the further you go, the more the mental and also like like this one in New Hampshire, it's going to be on a loop. There's going to be lots of people around, so it won't be too lonely. The one I did in Quebec in June, I ended up having a friend and my girlfriend pace me at the end. So I wasn't alone. But then I did one last summer that from like, man, I don't know anything. After like 25K, I want to say, into the race, I was pretty much alone the whole time. Like That's another, <clears throat> that's another level at night in trails alone and you have to keep motivated and keep running like the lows can be quite low the highs can be high but the lows can be quite low sometimes it's just riding them out what gets you through mental mental strength yeah i do like i like psychology side of it and i Mm -hmm. do try to read a few books on that kind of stuff and stuff i mean i just don't think about quitting and it's not somebody asked on Facebook recently and like sometimes I'll do this where I'll get on a rant on Facebook in the comments to like tell somebody what's up and I was like somebody's asking why like how not to quit and it's like don't why are you asking this don't plan to quit don't have quitting in your mentality don't even consider it as an option like if you're injured and you have to pull out of the race it's one thing if you're too slow and the cleanup crew at the end is like you didn't make the cutoff that's one thing but like quitting is uh, personally it's not really something i like to consider i remember i was running a race in uh, alberta 100k 
it was raining. It was in October. It was raining. My first 100K, but it was raining. It was cold. And a bunch of people were dropping with hypothermia and shit. And at one point, my watch had died. It was nighttime. And I saw a kid on an ATV who was working for the race. And he, I asked him how far till the next aid station, which is like aid station that has like water and also food for races like this. Right. And he, he asked, why do you want to quit? And I immediately said, fuck no. And then I was like, oh, I should probably shouldn't say this to this like 14-year-old kid. But I was like, hadn't even, it hadn't crossed my mind that that was an option. I was just kept pushing forward until I was going to get through the race. That's amazing. Do you have any inspirations in that field? Like uh, idols or people that inspire you? Hence, uh, give you an example, David Goggins. Are you, do you follow him? Is, is he somebody that, that, you, that lights you up? Or? Um, I've, I've seen his stuff. He did before. I mean, I read his book. I appreciate his book. I watched some of his videos, but then after a while, I kind of got annoyed. Not, not, sick of, not sick of him, but yeah, it's always the, the same stuff. And then some of the, the stuff he preaches is not sustainable for the average human, right? It's like he, he he's mental, but not like in a good way. Yeah. I don't know. Like he, he is extreme, you know, good for him and stuff. But it's like if most people try his method, they're going to crash and burn. Yeah. But there's a, yeah, there's a lot of, good runners that i follow uh, right now i'm just thinking of like people who are winning races these days like jim walmsley who was actually air force got kicked out because of like a cheating scandal he was a some nuclear engineer or something okay anyways and then he started running and uh, would go out way too hard at all his races but mm-hmm. then eventually it all came together and he won and broke records and uh, him and like Courtney Del Water, which I don't know if you listen to the podcast with her and Joe Rogan. Yeah, she's she, uh, she was on Joe Rogan. Yeah, she was on Joe Rogan. I think in 2017 after she won the Moab 240. Okay, yeah. And she like usually they say longer the longer the distance, the closer the gap between men and women get. Mm-hmm. So she won this 238 mile race outright by it was eight or ten hours like holy outright shit top person not top female like top person top person and she had time to like take a six hour nap shower eat until the next guy showed up like, you know it's crazy. how long how long did it take her to do how many miles 238 holy i think it's fuck. 67 hours i can't remember but she slept for like like she yeah, he took she, it. She, she took it she's easy. On another spectrum. No, no. She she slept for I think like fourteen minutes or something. Okay. It might, e- it might even not be that much. But then, like at one point, she couldn't see out of her like she was blind because she pushed so hard. And but her like way of thinking and approach to running is just so lighthearted and fun. And like Joe Rogan asked her at one point, like, "What about diet? Do you care about your diet?" And she's like. No, like sometimes I'll just eat candy and then when my belly starts to hurt, then I'll go for my run. She, she you know, she just doesn't care. Wow. Yeah, no, I remember, I, like I say, it's, it's a little vague there in my memory, but I remember uh, watching that episode and it's, it's crazy. Like, uh, I think you might know um, Mathieu Mackay. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. He did. He did a pretty awesome feat, uh, a race in, um, where was it? Morocco, maybe, or or in the desert yeah. somewhere. Yeah, I think it's Morocco. It's in Morocco? the Sahara Desert. Marathon des Sables, it's called. Yeah, Marathon des Sables. Is that two hundred and fifty kilometers? Holy shit! But it's over five days. Over five it's days. A, it's a stage race. Right. So you camp out at night, and then yeah, you leave again the next the next day, kind of thing. Yeah. So. uh yeah, you like run, let's say 40k the first day, which is in the desert with sand and like you know, it yeah. is its own uh, its own beast. It's but still you, a, a, you, a big achievement, yeah. Yeah, you'd run like 40k and then you get to camp, they stop your time, you eat whatever, try to treat all your wounds if you have any, or blisters or chafing or anything that needs to be dealt with, and then the next morning at whatever time everybody leaves again, and then they take all your times from the the five or six days, however long it is, put them all together, and that's your finishing time to okay. rank people. Right. Okay. Yeah. A bit I, different, but still yet. probably a challenging feat. Oh yeah, and I think yeah. the Marathon des they say it's like the toughest foot race on earth or something. But is that right? Every race tries to claim that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. What's your uh, <clears throat> leading into the weekend here? What's obviously we're still at the start of the week, but recording this but what's your biggest glitch fear do you have any um you know what's your what's your concern moving forward obviously your injury probably a concern yeah yeah my knee i'm trying to trying to stay positive like last year i did a race called gaspesio 100 mm-hmm. it was in gaspesi in Perse, and uh, it's a pretty tough one i so i signed up for it because just because like, oh, it's a race in Quebec, it's closer to home. So me and my parents can come support me there and stuff, not knowing that, you know, pandemic was going to happen and they weren't right. able to, to come across. But um, that was the reason for signing up. And then as I was training for it, I was listening to podcasts and there was a new podcast about trail running in Quebec. So I was listening to that and they had the guy, the race director on, and he said how the finishing rate was 30%. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, wow. And then... So I, you know, still trained as best as I could, went to it. I ended up finishing it. I was fourth. I ended up finishing last place, but we were 19 at the start and only four of us finished. Wow. So it was decently tough. But uh, like a week and a half or two weeks before that race, I hurt my knee at work doing my physical fitness test, which was like just a fluke. I just like twisted my knee. And it hurt like uh, it hurt a lot to like go up and down stairs. So I wasn't yeah. sure. I emailed the race director and I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do this race. And he and I went to physio. They said like just take the week off and see. And then I went to physio again. They taped it up. I tested it out like the Thursday before the race and didn't hurt too much. So I went to the race, taped it up the morning of the race, and ended up it didn't it didn't bother me. So it didn't bother. So I'm really hoping that. Same thing happens with my knee right now. I'm trying to rest it. Hopefully, I'll. Uh, I'm actually considering like shaving my leg and going to physio like Friday so, to see if they can tape it up for me nicely. Mm. And then, uh, but yeah, if my knee can hold up and my joints, because it's like 
trail running in like technical trails, it's a lot of roots and rocks and stuff. And you're always moving your legs in different directions. So it's a mm -hmm. lot softer on the body, like to a certain extent when you run for 28 hours, it right. starts to wear on your body, but it's generally like softer than let's say a road marathon where it's always the same movement. Yeah. But this race, cause it's flat and easy. It'll be fast, but I'm worried that the same repetitive movement is going to start hurting more. But so that's probably your biggest concern. Any other yeah. like any other like fears or concerns leading it into something like that? Like and and like how much of uh, of a team you you mentioned earlier? Like how much of a preparation outside of running and all that? Like logistically or like what? what's entail for, for something like that? You know, uh, are you going in at it, at it, at it alone with the support of your girlfriend or whatever, or is there yeah. actual, like a little team that's helping you? Like they're usually set up that you can go alone. Like when I went to Gaspizzi, I was alone. There's a drop bag. So you can put like extra shoes and stuff in a bag and they bring it to different spots that you're going to be running along. Okay. But, uh, like for this one, uh, my girlfriend's coming. I have a friend who I convinced to sign up as well from Quebec. So him and his girlfriend are coming down as well. My parents are meeting us there. And then my girlfriend's parents might be meeting us there as well. Wow. Hang out, which my parents kind of like it. Cause it's just like, you just hang out for the weekend and watch people run. And usually there's like a lot of running around to get to where I'm going to pass and be yep. ready for, for when I run through. Right. And it's like kind of fun to try to chase me and follow the race and stuff. Yeah. It's like exhilarating and yeah, action packed. Yeah. Which even I, I supported my, the friend that I convinced to come, he ran his first hundred miler last year, which okay. like I was saying, or like classic case of never have run any race really in his life, like 5k, 10k half marathon, any race. And he signed up for a hundred miler and uh, <laughs> he did great, but I supported him that race. And it was, it was quite fun just to try to, be there and you know support him whatever he needs if he needs like you know he'd come in and i'd be like do you how are your feet do you need to change your sauce do you want to put some lube on them do you want this snack do you want that snack do you want me to fill up your water like just try to make it go as smoothly as possible for him to get in get out and keep running yeah and uh so this weekend you'll be well supported. You'll have a lot of people oh, yeah. around you and uh, you'll get to see your parents as well. That's probably, uh, probably a big deal for uh, for a guy from Rogersville. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it'll be fun. But then also, like I said, I'm trying to not lose too much time, like getting True. support this weekend. So I, I need to have my head in the game a lot more than I usually do. If I want to have this reach this goal. What do you do when you're running? Do you listen to something typically? Like, do you listen to music or to podcasts or shit like that? Or Yeah. So I used to not that much. My first uh, hundred miler, it was kind of a goal just like I'm stubborn as hell, obviously, but I didn't listen to any, didn't have any headphones and I didn't have a pacer. I just wanted to be myself, the woods, the trails, see if I can, because, you know, they say ultras aren't that far. It's just six inches between your ears, right? so what you have to master so i just want to see that but uh ultras aren't that far it's only six inches between your ears yeah i can't remember who said that but somebody somebody said that at one point that's interesting so it's all about it's all about the head game it's all about no, the mental 
there's a, I think this one's raised Ahab quote. He says that 90% mental, the other 10% is all in your head. Once you conditioned for it and once you're good, uh, as far as physically, it really becomes, it's the same as, as <clears throat> same as survival, like in the woods or something like that. If, if you know, the show alone, have you ever seen yeah. that? Yeah. Like the way that you describe a race or a preparation or everything that you're going through, uh, during that that event it it just feels a little bit a lot like similar to um to that show and what people like that are in the woods alone have to go through it's it's the mental game they know how to survive they know how to fish they know how to yeah they're not eating enough and if they don't get enough for a couple of days they start getting it starts playing there right so yeah. it's pretty much the same thing like the same concept like if your knees just tweaking just a little bit, you got to just fucking block. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, uh, oh. at the end of my first hundred miler. I remember I was running at night. I was cold. Everything was aching. And I was just like one foot in front of the other. And sometimes you get to a point too, where it doesn't hurt more to run than it does to walk. So like, you might as well just run and get it over with. Right. Which is nice for races. Unlike the one this weekend that is going to last 24 hours. Doesn't matter how fast I go. Yeah, like the time is set, but at that one, I remember at one point I was running and my foot, my right foot started hurting, and my thought process was, "Oh, my right foot is hurting." Add it to the list. Keep going. I didn't even change my pace because I was just like, "Oh, something else hurts." Cool. Worry about that later. Get to the finish line. Right. Get to the finish line. Yeah. That's really crazy. It's uh, and and you say your girlfriend does that too. So it's it's kind of two peas in a pod there. Yeah, you guys are you know able to number one support yourselves, but also heckle each other a little bit off the record, and then uh, and and you clearly you know uh, when it comes down to nutrition and training and all that, you guys run together once in a while or once in a while, yeah. Um... Yeah, not recently too much. Like, do you train together at all or not typically? Well, she, yeah, she works, like, outside of Quebec usually. So she's here, like, one one month out of every two months kind of thing. Okay. Like, half the time. So a lot of times we're not training together. But then, yeah, it depends. Like, yeah, it really depends. We haven't run that much together. But, like, the other week we were in New Brunswick. We went for a few runs together. So she just does it at a, as a passion uh, on her own. She trains, you know, she, she trains on her own and does her own preparation and her own races and stuff. And Yeah, she ran cross country in high school or okay. high school and then university. She ran for University of New Brunswick Okay. in the varsity. And like on our first date, she mentioned she liked running. And I was like, oh, cool, me too. And we talked a little bit about running. I asked her like what kind of distances she runs. And I remember that she didn't ask once what kind of races I did. So she, I didn't tell her I ran marathons or ultra marathons or anything, but she talked about her, her 10 Ks and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So she ran, she, she ran well before she knew me. Okay. So that's good though. It's, it's something that unites you guys and help. Like it's always fun to heckle. Like I say, you know, be, be a little hard on each other and it's kind of, kind of tease each other but at the same time you've got your support there and she's got hers and you guys kind of both know the game so yeah but yeah and even like i said my training plan or my training block has been like really good 
usually it's not i skip a lot of runs because i'm busy with life or whatever else and i actually change i do my own training plan usually it's called a training plan but she's been heckling me so much that i've been skipping runs that i tra- called it a training reference this time a training reference so that i'm not yeah so that I, if i'm skipping runs it's not because it's not on my plan it's just a reference i reference it i don't go off of it <laughs> So you don't think that uh, not not training, not having a training program and having a reference program uh, is going to affect you come come down to the crunch? Realistically, it's the same plan that I've been using a few times. Okay. I just, I look at it. I try to see what weekends I'm going to be away with work or what's going to, and I try to slide everything in so that I can get the runs I want to uh, do. Gotcha. But then, like, leading up to the race in June, I moved apartments. I moved into my house. So, like, I skipped a bunch of runs. My pa- my parents were here, and I was supposed to go do long runs, like, go run for two or three hours. But my parents were here to help move, so I wasn't just going to leave them at my house alone and right. go run. So I skipped a bunch of runs that week and stuff. But. Well. Hopefully this weekend will be uh, good. I'm going to for sure 100% have to try to get in touch with you again in a little while to kind of catch up to everything that you do because it's there's no way we can cram everything in one in one podcast. I hope you'll be willing to join me again someday. Oh, yeah, for sure. Just for uh, a, a little chat and maybe your girlfriend can join uh, next time. We can, yeah. we can uh, talk about her races and everything that she's doing. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, you were talking Japan earlier. You went to Japan with the cadets and stuff. Did it was that the first time and only time you've been to Japan? That was the first and only time I've been to Japan and Asia. And uh, like you said earlier, like culture shot. That's the I really, really loved that part of it, and I can't mm-hmm. wait to go back to Asia just for that. Like stepping out of the airplane at Tokyo, like airport, which is humongous. Yeah. A guy from Rogersville, like I never really, <laughs> I'd been, I'd been to Florida once with my parents growing up. Like we took a, a bus down, but I'd never been to another country besides that. Stepping off the airplane, everything is in Japanese. I try to go on, on the Wi-Fi so that I can talk to the person that's supposed to meet me there. And everything's in Japanese. I click one button. It doesn't work. I go back. I click on another button. Oh, can I get the Wi-Fi? Cool. I can now commute. Like it took me a little longer than that to figure it out. But, you know, everything was in Japanese. And, uh, yeah, it was, I really enjoyed the experience. Was it uh, a group trip? Like, was there a lot of people on that trip? So or? we were, usually with the international exchange with cadets, they're like much bigger groups. I think usually they're like 16 or 20 people, but we were four. So there was me from Canada, one guy from the UK, one guy from the Netherlands, and one officer from Hong Kong. Wow, man. What a cool experience. How old were you? I was 18. And how long did you stay there? It was about two and a half weeks. With the travel, it was like three weeks, but I was in Japan for like two and a half. And what did you do while you were there for two and a half weeks? We visited a bunch of stuff, like, you know, went around Mount Fuji and saw the town, saw the the sites and stuff. We Mm -hmm. also went to meet some, like, important uh, Japanese people. Mm-hmm. to try to do like because it's not a for them air cadets is not a government program so they we kind of did some meetings with some important people to try to get funding for the program 
and uh, we went to like visit the Japanese airlines, hangars and airplanes and stuff. And uh, not the, so the, I think it was the air, we went to an air force base. We went to a, a gliding site that a university had. And then we went for five days on the Northern Island of Hokkaido to go mm-hmm. skiing, to go do downhill skiing. So it was, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Pretty wicked trip. Yeah. Pretty cool experience for an 18 year old to, you know, to experience and, uh, <clears throat> through the cadets. Yeah. And it, you know, all it cost me, I think it was like 300 or 500 bucks that I had to buy like some uniforms and stuff that said like air cadet league of Canada. Um, that's all I had to pay for. Wow. And even like, I remember I had a layover in Toronto. They got me a hotel and I had a, a hotel like, I mean, I'm a guy from Rogersville, so this had impressed me quite a bit, but it was like the right. Sheridan Hotel right at the Toronto airport. I could see planes coming into land and moving around and stuff. And I was like, who needs TV when I can just watch airplanes all day? Really? But uh, but, uh, yeah. Somebody that's passionate about airplanes and flying. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's incredible. It's been quite a journey for you. And um, we haven't even like, honestly, we haven't dipped fully into everything that you do because you have a sense of adventure that's absolutely crazy. I mean, uh, other than, you know, the craziness of we, we ended up taking longer in the whole because it, it just it just I don't know. There's something about it that just impresses me at the same time. I think you're crazy. But, uh, you know, just doing what you do, running that whole that whole concept of running is such a cool discipline that it and it's so impressive. It it it's um, the strength behind it, the mental strength that that you that you need to to get through that. I can't even imagine. And uh, it was it's really so really impressive to to hear you talk about that you know, that part of your life. And, and it's crazy to think that you have a, f- a fucking race coming up this weekend, like, and you're going to be running however, however many miles that you'll be running kilometers that you'll be running. And, and it's, it's trying to break records and trying to break through the mental barriers and everything. It just, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's the only word I can find. It's crazy. Like, but so cool. Because the the devotion and the, the the discipline that it takes to to reach what you guys do, and you say it's becoming more and more popular, and I mean that can only be a good thing because it's it's making stronger humans and making will, more willful and and persevering you know human beings. Clearly, this is a spiritual experience that that really helps take a human to another level. I mean, you, you go through something like that. It's so impressive. It just inspires me to challenge myself in some way, not running because running's not my thing, but to inspire, it's my, it inspires me. It truly does. It's so inspiring to hear you talk about it. Maybe because it interests me, but I'm sure, you know, anybody else listening is going to feel the same way as I do. It's, it's, it's inspiring to choose or find something take one of the things that passions me and and drive even harder and drive even further and push my limits you know what i mean and not to the point of of, of risking my life there you know what i mean but at the same time like of, of just pushing those mental limits to 
to levels where it, it takes that strength and, and you just, it's a spiritual experience. So anyways, I just want to, just wanted to say that. And I wanted to put it out there to tell you that it's, it is truly inspiring. And, um, it's really cool to hear your, just to hear your stories. It blows me away. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's like how, how you're saying for inspiring to push the boundaries or whatever, but that's, and I'm not breaking, you said break records. I'm not trying to break anybody's record. I'm just trying to see what I can do. Cause I feel like I did hundred mile. was like a goal for a long time and I did one and then I did a second one and then I did a third one this year. And I'm like, what else can I do? Like, I want to go faster or further. I just want to try to get the time down, but then I'm like, maybe I could do 200 K because all of this is like Jocelyn being like, I haven't pushed myself in a while to where like I'm at the absolute limit and I break down. Like maybe this weekend, I mean, Hopefully if I fail, it's not because of my knee, because that would just piss me off. But you know, maybe I won't get my goal, but that'll be a good lesson and I'll it'll be something to work harder for next time. But and this whole training block was I was trying to get to a point where I could maybe run two hundred miles in the in the next year or so. But just because I haven't been pushing my like I've been pushing myself, but I've been doing the same thing that I've been doing. So I haven't been exploring outside my boundary or my my personal um, comfort zone which i get you an, an interesting place to be but nonetheless i think win or lose succeed or fail in what you're pushing to do and what you guys do your you and your girlfriend and so many others in this field um i think it, there is no matter what a spiritual experience in that that takes you to a level where you learn lessons and I think when you're learning lessons, it's, it's not, we're not talking religion here and shit like that. I'm talking about just spiritual inner experiences that you are learning about yourself, the limits or the boundaries or the pain or whatever else it is, whatever factor, whether, whether it's win or lose, succeed or fail, the experience that you're putting yourself through becomes such a learning experience. You can draw so much, so many fucking lessons out of one weekend like one experience because it's not just one weekend it's preparing for it mentally physically it's maintaining sustain all you know what i mean it's it's yeah. it's everything that comes into it and then the the delivery comes this weekend and then win or lose succeed or fail there's gonna be lessons yeah and so like i said like, earlier we're making better not better humans but you know more fit stronger humans maybe and stuff like that but also, you know, the world has gotten quite soft. So a lot of people are reaching out to try to test themselves because they don't feel tested through life. We don't have to forage for food or 100%. all that stuff. You know, it's all given to us. Yeah, and 100%. And I feel fortunate that I have the opportunity to, because I mean, I'm paying money to go run around in a loop, right? But I'm yeah. fortunate enough to have money to go do that, whereas some people might be scraping by. Yeah. So yeah this is like it was one of my questions as well was kind of a follow-up question to all of this is like what do you think of society today what do you think of the youth growing coming up uh the gen z are you gen z uh, i think i'm technically millennial. millennial i'm like the last year i'm the last year of millennial all right okay well good for you <laughs> <laughs> but no 
Gen Z, uh, for me, as, as far as it goes, like there's a lot of smart kids, super smart kids. And I think there's going to be a lot of successful kids out of Gen Z just in different ways. But <clears throat> there's a lot of, also a lot of entitlement and a lot of uh, spoiled, you know, we're, 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 we've been spoiled. So it's just passed on to generations. And, and what do you, what do you make of today's society outside of the army and shit like that? You know what I mean? Like today's society. Yeah. That's a, that's a big question. And I feel like I don't, I don't have kids, so I don't see it as up close. I have a nephew, but you know, he's my sister's kid. So I don't know how, things are you know like there's a lot of factors everywhere but i know like yeah and the thing is you know we got spoiled as kids maybe because Mm -hmm. our parents didn't get spoiled as much because their parents had it a bit harder you know my my grandpa still has stories of like they would wake up in the morning go put open the oven door because it was like one of those old wood stove ovens right they would open the oven door and put their feet there to warm them up in the morning yeah and like that's not how we grew up so no. generations change and up evolve and how, how hard people are and stuff yeah and like but with, with the technology these days that's I know, that's, that's the tricky that's where i'm going at is like even that's my cousin julian growing up we never really got a time limit on our video games because my parents didn't feel like we did but they did and later in life for a certain period like when they would come over we would want to just go play outside but they would want to play on the computer or whatever because they didn't have a time limit at our house. So it's, you know, there's, I'm glad, I mean, kudos to you for being a parent and trying to manage it and figure out how to deal with that. Of course, yeah. I don't have to worry about that now, but it's hard to know where that line is. And then like at Christmas, I think it was two years ago or three years ago, my little cousins, we're like a big family when we get together for Christmas and my cousins were all playing video games. And I went down to see, and when we would play video games, like at the later Christmases when we were like 16 or whatever, we'd mm-hmm. play, let's say Halo, and we'd be split screen, all four, we're all playing together. I went down to see what they were doing, and one guy was playing on the PlayStation or whatever, and the other ones were on their phone. Mm-hmm. They weren't playing together at all. They were just taking no. their, their turns. And I was like, this is stupid. Like, you guys are like seven cousins all around the same age. Like there's so many cool things you could be doing right now and create like lifelong memories. And I, I took away the power cable for the Xbox and hit it. I can't remember. I hit it. My cousin said I was the worst guy ever. I ruined Christmas, all this shit. And then I was like, I'll give it back to you at eight. If you, whatever. I was like, what did you get for Christmas? Like this is like Christmas night. I'm like, what did you get for Christmas? You must've had something that next week when nobody's around, you're not going to want to play with because you're going to be alone. But right now, like, what did you get? I think we did a pill fight at first. And I was like, you know, we'll stop when somebody starts crying. That's usually how we would play. Yeah. It didn't happen. They were all like exhausted, sleep, half sleeping on the couch. And they were like, okay, can we get the Xbox back? We did a pillow fight. And like, they had fun. And they're like, can we? and I'm like, no, like, you must have had something for Christmas. We set up like a ninja warrior thing in the basement. So they played on that for a bit. And then after a while, he was like, okay, can we get it? And I was like, I'll give you a hint. So I gave him a hint and then eventually they found it and they went back to playing with it. And then that night when they went to bed, I went to see my little cousin. I was like, so was it the worst Christmas ever? He said, no, that was actually like, you know, pretty good. And I'm sure in 10 years from now, when I talk about it again, he'll be like, yeah, that was pretty freaking awesome. 
Yeah. But that's what we did growing up. And yeah. We yeah, we played. Of it, so. Yeah, we played, uh, you know, guns outside and built yeah. tree houses and played ball hockey and shoot hoops and yeah. shoot targets and like just whatever it was. But you were you were outside and you were moving around and it's just different and and society is just you know just different it's just it's it's totally different they're they're i'm not saying they're not smart and they don't i have two kids my my son's 17 my daughter's 15 and but it's fucking different yeah, yeah. not just my kids like it's just everybody it's it's really different it's it's kind of hard to think of where all this is going in a, yeah. in a sense, because we're all going to be like living in pods. And, and uh, I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully not in doing uh, this or Quebec, you know. Well, yeah, maybe doing this, but hopefully yeah. there's not pods in Moncton or, you know, Canada is pretty, pretty big. Hopefully we can always yeah. find a spot to go build a wood, wood cabin or something. Exactly. Nothing like the wilderness and, and uh, a nice real fire. And, yeah. No, it's, yeah. And and like there's so much more I'd, I want to get into with you, but I, I'm not going to keep you any longer. I know everybody's everybody's got a life. And I mean, we'll get into uh, if, if we can, you know, get together again in, in a little bit, a couple months, maybe or whatever, just catch up. Yeah. But you've done so much more. And uh, I'll uh, hopefully be able maybe I'll have you and your cousin on one day. Yeah, I mean, I'd be down to that. I was actually oh. listening to the podcast the other day and I was like. This is nice because I haven't caught up with him in a while. So it was right. nice to hear him a bit. It'd be but, a lot uh, of fun to have you both on. And then you guys can talk about some of the adventures you've done together in the past. And then kind of exactly just kind of catch up and we can have a cool, uh, a cool convo. But I want to wish you, um, I was going to say break a leg, but fuck, I don't, I don't know what to tell yeah. you for this weekend. <laughs> How, what am I supposed to say? What do runners say? Um, uh, uh, I don't know. Have a good race. Stay alive. Stay alive. Stay alive. <laughs> yeah. Stay alive. Oh. And uh, yeah. yeah, actually, like I just thought that you said that, and I was thinking, like you know, the, the scary part, or not the scary, but the dangerous part is driving down there. When you asked the question to Julian, and he was, you asked him what the most dangerous part of all of the sports he did was, and I, I was running while I was listening to it, and I was like, please say driving there because. You know, the driving to get to that's the, the most dangerous going, part flying or skydiving or climbing a lot of t- well, climbing a lot of times it's like the hike in or out. I find right sprain, sprain an ankle, break an ankle when you're climbing, you're tied up and you're it's fine to fall most of yeah. the time, but yeah, but it is, it is, it's, yeah, the, the highest risk is driving there, yeah, because you don't know what other people are going to do too, right? So. Hey, you know what? It's such a you, Right to the point, this Saturday, last Saturday that just came, went by, my son calls me 1.30 in the morning. He's hanging out with some friends at home, at, at the other house. I have two houses, basically, because I'm separated. and My, wife, yeah. my ex-wife still lives over there. Um, anyways, <clears throat> he calls me 1.30 in the morning. He says, what's up? I said, not much. He said, can, you, can we go down, downtown, take a drive to see watch for like look out for like tweakers and shit like that he they enjoy going for late night drives on the weekend because they see drunk people and shit and it just makes them laugh they're 17 yeah yeah so i'm like yeah cool cool and usually they want to take a little run at mcdonald's at the end there pick them up a little bird on the way home 
So I'm like, yeah, cool. I'll go with you guys. I'll go pick you up. So I picked him up, him and his two friends. They were at, at the house and uh, they were hanging out. Anyways, we go for a drive. We do the whole thing. Typical, typical thing takes about an hour ish, an hour and a half. We're just taking the drive, going up and down Main Street, doing this, whatever. And then pick, lo and behold, pick him up a couple burgers. Sorry, I got a phone call from my daughter there. <laughs> lo and behold. Oh, you there? There yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Oh, my daughter calling again. So hang on. Oh, all right. Lo and behold, uh, pick them up a couple burgers and then drive them home. Well, I'm like, you know, whatever. It's like two thirty. No, it's like three o'clock in the morning then. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to take one last drive downtown just for fun on the way, you know, kind of just on my own. Cause I was listening to a podcast right when he called me, he knew I was going out because I told him that I was going out for a little cruise and it was Halloween parties. And then he called me back and he said, can you pick us up? So that's kind of how it went down. So when I, when I dropped him off, I was listening to a podcast initially. So I said, oh, I want to listen to a bit more of the podcast before I go home. So I went for another cruise downtown. Anyway, I arrived downtown on Gordon Street in Moncton and some guy had and I ran into this one guy who he, he was sitting on the curb and his car was destroyed, totaled. He was on the phone with 911. So I arrived up to him. I walked up to him. I said, you OK, what's up? Da, da, da. Said, yeah, some guy literally just came in, like rammed me head on and he ran away and he took off like a hit and run and he took off. Must have been a drunk. So to the point, the long story around the concept of to the point of saying you never trust, you know, who who's in the other cars. And that's that's the most dangerous part of your outing. Like it could have been me five minutes earlier yeah, driving with, on that street with three kids on board, too, with three boys. Yeah. Hanging out and big head on collision. You never know what happened. But that car was destroyed and all the airbags were uh, were uh deployed and it was like it was a freaking head-on collision and the guy took off hmm. which so uh, uh all that to say if, you, if we're ever podcasting you me and julian and you want to hear stories we got hit and run once in california together oh so really that <laughs> there <laughs> yeah, you go yeah, yeah. no i'd love to do that in a couple you know couple months I'd, i whenever you guys will be free you know come january february we should uh hook up again and um and have a have a great you know a little hangout for a couple hours yeah for sure it'd be a lot of fun just thanks a lot for hanging out you got <laughs> a lot of amazing story it was a fun conversation can't wait to uh to put this out for people to uh people to enjoy and again thanks for your service um and uh it's truly appreciated and this was a f- super fun conversation for me so uh a big thank you and good luck for this weekend for sure and uh, I can't wait to hear and find out, you know, now that I added you as a friend, I'll be able to keep track a little bit, but uh, uh, yeah, can't wait to, to see how it goes. And I, I wish you nothing but top-notch success, brother. Cool. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, it was interesting. I'll be back on in time. For sure. Spot the schedule, yeah. Yeah, we'll do it again for sure, hopefully. And uh, yeah, super interesting. A lot of fun. It's, uh, it's man, it's inspiring, actually. So uh Thanks a lot and uh, can't wait to put the dream team together and we'll uh, we'll try to have another chat. Sounds good. See you. Have a good one.
Awesome. Thanks a lot. And if you're, uh, Hey, if you're struggling, anybody out there, just know, just know that, uh, giving up is not a concept that, uh, guys like this believe in. So don't quit. Don't quit on life. Don't quit on yourself. You have worth and you have a lot of worth. You just got to keep grinding and keep finding. So, uh, take care of yourself and talk to somebody. If you're struggling, talk to somebody and anybody, whether it be friends, family, or a professional, uh, sometimes all we need to do is talk a little bit and get that shit out. And then once, once it's out, uh, you'd be surprised how often we bounce back quickly. So we're resilient. Humans are really resilient. So, uh, stay alive. There you go. Thanks. Just cool. See ya. A lot of fun. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye.